Okay, so a few years ago, I was in a band with a singer who would always interject whenever I'd refer to George Strait as King George, arguing that George Jones was the real King George. Correct. <laughs> yeah, this person fully knew that King George was a widely used nickname for George Strait, but strongly disagreed that he should have that title elevating him above the other original George that so many had seen as the greatest of all time, the real King George. We would debate and argue about it to no resolve, and it just became kind of a running joke. And because that also reflects Sean's personal perspective of this part of honky-tonk history, uh, we're going to kick off the Country Country podcast with a banger. Laying all our cards on the table, have some fun, and dive headfirst into this useless and impossible discussion on who is the greatest male country singer of all time. Yes, sir. <laughs> so it's going to be Straight versus Jones. Who is the true King George? Ding, or, al ding. <laughs> or alternatively, will the real King George please stand up? us scenario <laughs> yeah, got your kinda, peanut butter beer over there yeah <laughs> got my george Strait tequila and a paloma over here <laughs> yeah it is very much so okay so george jones surely was one of the most singular and identifiable voices not only in country music but maybe in popular music ever really raw so emotive uh with very much a huge range and power really able to communicate the music in a way that really connected with people. And I think for that reason, so many people elevated him to this level of greatness. Many singers count him amongst their biggest influences. But I think it takes more than just a unique voice to be counted as the greatest ever. Uh, it may seem premature now because Jones is dead and Strait is still very much alive. Um, but I bet in another 20 or 30 years, when we're looking back at the best of all time, it'll be a little more obvious. There's always a kind of perceived sacrilege in crowning someone newer or younger over one of the greats that came before. But Strait has been making music for five decades now and still putting out records uh, just a couple weeks ago. He put out uh, his 30th studio record, um, and he's 66 or so. So let's get the stats out of the way. George Strait has 60 number one singles. That is more than any artist in any genre on any chart ever, since the beginning of Billboard or whoever's record keeping. Consider what that means. That's not only by far the biggest country music feat ever, that's bigger than Elvis, the Beatles, Michael Jackson, wh whoever else you can think of as a megastar of all time. George Strait also has the unmatched, unique distinction of having had a number one song every year for 30 years in a row. Nobody else has ever done that in any genre either. And of the 96 singles he's released over his career, 86 have made it to the top 10 and all of them have made it to the top 40. 
He's had 33 different platinum or multi-platinum albums, and that's second only to Elvis as the most ever. And lastly, he's had a total of 81 CMA nominations and won 22 times, also the most of anyone ever. So here's a guy where every single single he's ever released has charted on the top, on the country top 40. 86 of those 96 have made it to the top 10, and 60 of the 96 go all the way to number one. And those number ones happened at least once a year for 30 years in a row. That is insane and entirely untouched by anyone ever. But I know stats on number ones, record sales and awards, et cetera, don't make someone the greatest ever. Or else we'd be talking about all kinds of very mainstream pop acts that very easily amass middle of the road number ones and lots of money and sales and records and everything. But that's, that's part of what makes George Strait so special is he's not a middle of the road pop act. I hesitate to use the word authentic, but from the beginning, he stayed so true to his sound, which he's described as a slightly modernized blend of his main influences, Merle Haggard and Bob Wills, his two favorite artists of all time. So musically, he's been country country from the beginning. And maybe it was luck that it happened at such an opportune time. In the late 70s and early 80s, they saw some of the worst country music ever made including with what's happening today. Every label wanted to make crossover hits. There was very little traditional sound left in country. Even guys like George Jones, Waylon Jennings, and Merle Haggard had cheesy periods there. So amongst all the shitty state of country music at the time, at the height of the urban cowboy craze from John Travolta's movie, which was filled with terrible music from people like Mickey Gilly and I don't know who else, Crystal Gale probably and Eddie Rabbit, then comes this handsome, actual cowboy, like roping, riding, raised on a ranch cowboy with an amazing voice and a super tight Western swing band, the Ace and the Hole Band. They'd been killing it on the Texas dance hall circuit for years, but had been declined by Nashville labels for years for a record deal, saying they were too country. And then finally in 1981, he gets a deal and unwound uh, his first single, Takes Radio by Storm. And this isn't some illegitimate pop machine, Britney Spears kind of artist that we're talking about. This is a guy who went against the grain of pop country that was the main thing in country in the late 70s and 80s, where everyone was trying to have crossover records. And he brought back country, country music at a time when even George Jones was making cheesy adult contemporary style string section crossover garbage tracks like with big aviator glasses and wide lapel disco suits. Then Unwound came on so strong over country radio with its slightly modernized but still hardcore honky-tonk fiddles, western swing vibes, and it, it changed country music. It was a definitive period. It gave way to a new era of legit country that had been going downhill since the mid-70s, uh, pretty much tapering off after the outlaw movement was starting to fade. And even Waylon and Willie and Johnny Cash, they were all kind of struggling to maintain relevancy and uh, dabbling in crossovers. So George Strait was really reviving life back into country music, made it real again, infused with heavy amounts of honky-tonk and swing, but in an updated modern, modern kind of way. 
This directly inspired all of the next generation of traditional country singers who, by nature of this style of music, were huge successes based on this countryness that they were reviving. Uh, the likes of Randy Travis, Alan Jackson, Brooks and Dunn, Garth Brooks, and probably many more uh, directly credit George Strait for uh, inspiring them to do what they did. And more specifically, point to the first moment that they heard unwound on the radio. That, that kind of thing where they remember where they were when they first heard Unwound, and that was the moment things changed for them. Garth Brooks has said since that moment, he's always wanted to be George Strait. But all that was just the start. That was what set the tone and got everyone's attention uh, as for him as a disruptor, someone pulling things back to a more traditional sound of real country music. That first song peaked at number six, but the following year in 82, he had his first number one hit with Foolhearted Memory. His songs have always had this weird ability to be very country, but also carry the highest degree of mainstream success. I really like this quote from Texas Monthly. Keeping the straightforward style of Merle Haggard rather than the vocal acrobatics of George Jones or the vibrato of Ray Price. The melodies are often poppy and sometimes they swing, but they always come dressed in a fiddle and steel guitar. He's changed very little about himself over the time of his career. His music has stayed consistent. And I think everybody's appreciated that. There's no pyrotechnics in his shows, no running around, jumping around, dancing on stage. He's always dressed in the same uniform of Wranglers, Western shirt, cowboy boots and hat. And he stands there and just sings to his fans who go crazy as if it was a Beatles or Kiss concert. He's not really a songwriter. He's written very few of his own songs over the years. But early on, he negotiated being a co-producer and having final say on what he does. And he's had this uncanny ability to pick songs that are just destined to be hits. Or maybe it's just him and he's made these good songs great and number one hits. He's seen himself as a performer, first and foremost, a singer, an interpreter of other people's music. And in that way, he's been compared to Sinatra, who he's also a big fan of. George Jones, on the other hand, shares a lot of these characteristics. He's not much of a songwriter, mostly a performer. Sorry, that's not to say he's not a good songwriter, but the majority of his songs weren't written by him. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he has put out a massive amount of material over his six decades since the 50s. While both artists are famously shy and veer away from the spotlight, Jones wasn't the kind of artist who wasn't interested in fame or money. So this debate isn't between the greatness of an influential, more underground artist's artist like uh, Towns Van Zand and a commercial, commercial superstar with tons of platinum records. That would be apples and oranges. George Jones had millions of dollars, mansions, sports cars, cocaine, women, drugs, everything. He was very much a successful super, superstar trying to be as successful as possible. But when the chips fall in the end, he's fallen short. Influential factors aside, based on accomplishment, he's not even the top 10. He's had 13 number one songs. And after George Strait as number one, there's Conway Twitty with 40 and then Merle Haggard with 38. But with the length of Jones's career and the sheer volume of the records he's put out, Jones has had 143 songs that made the Billboard country top 40. 
but he's also had a lot of shit. Some say that his drug and alcoholism led him to make poor decisions, either taking on record contracts with far too much material that he was required to put out, and it was mediocre, and also maybe substance abuse that was ruining a lot of his performance, and then not to mention his reputation as No-Show no Jones, which he later really kind of accepted and wore on his sleeve. Um, but it constantly disappointed fans. So at the end of the day, they're both epic, but there's something particularly special about a guy who has maintained such a clear country sound and style throughout his entire career, simultaneously earned all these unprecedented and unsurpassed accolades and accomplishments. And I doubt there's anyone that gets any more credit for influencing more country artists than George Strait does today. I'm sure Merle Haggard... George Jones, Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn also do to a very high degree. But the industry and all his peers call him King George for a reason, because he's the best there ever was. Well, shit, Andrew. I think you convinced me. I gotta we, take I gotta take my leave. I think I'm out of here. There's you know, I don't know if I need to really even continue this. I, I, I have Two more drinks lined up in front of me. <laughs> I'm settling in for the yeah. long haul. I was as, hoping this was going to get fiery. I. <laughs> I got a dog on my feet and a beer in my hands, so I guess I'll offer up my, my, my counterpoint. Let's have it. As Andrew sips his fancy tequila drinks, and I drink my, I was going to say like PBR or something, but in all honesty, I'm drinking craft beer. <laughs> so anyways, I understand the stats. I understand the achievements, the accolades. It's impressive. What I think makes Jones the greatest, I don't think it can be measured in these terms. He embodies country music in everything that he's done. From the first line of he stopped loving her today to riding lawn tractors to the liquor store. <laughs> she can't have a reputation of no showing and still garner respect if you aren't an irreplaceable gem in your respective genre. Otherwise, you'd be replaced. Jones could not be replaced. He did things his way. He didn't compromise for anyone, be it good or bad. At the CMA Awards in 1999, he boycotted the entire show because they want him to abbreviate his song choices. The song was so personal to him that he refused to change it because it would have, wouldn't have had the same impact. He commanded so much respect that Alan Jackson stopped in the middle of his song at the same award show to play Choices. That outlaw spirit, not being told what to do, not compromising, that's what country music is to me. That's the spirit that he captures. That's why he resonated with so many people. He was lovable despite his many faults. That's relatable to people, and his music was relatable. And, you know, those faults that as I sat here and I listened to you and, you know, so many points that I, I, I think we should discuss, so many points of yours that I agree with. And something like those, those, those faults where you think people just, they had no patience for it. It, was, it hurt his career, all these kind of things. And I honestly feel it's the, it's the opposite. I, I felt like it helped his career because people see themselves in, in someone like Jones when... When someone is, is screwing up their life so badly and just keep keeping rolling, he's, he's he, you know he's continuing to play and maybe he doesn't show one night, maybe he shows up the next night, 
Maybe they find him playing on the front lawn of two old ladies after he escaped from the show. <laughs> uh, you know, I think everybody can relate to that kind of stuff. And, and to me, that's always been a big part of uh, what country music is, is it's like it's the everyman's music. And when you get a character up there or, or on the album that you're listening to that, that is genuinely embodying the kind of stuff that, that happens to you, it, 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 it all of a sudden it becomes... You know, it, it's relatable, and you you really start to feel, you know, you feel where he's coming from. You identify with it. That's always been my love for music is is identifying. I I, I, I there's often things in music I, I can't identify with, and I might appreciate the music, but it's not it's not something that's going to hit home. Um, he lived country music his whole life. His alcoholic father put him on the streets of Texas busking with a guitar when he was nine years old. That's, I don't, to me, that's, that's country. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> god damn. Like, you, if you're going to cut your teeth, who, who amongst us could say they cut their teeth at nine years old because your alcoholic dad needed money and he said, go play some goddamn guitar on the street, you little bastard? Going, th- you know, going through hard times is relatable to people, as I said. Music fans, they're not dumb. They know when a person is singing to them isn't bullshitting. That unbridled honesty, that came through in Jones's music. Some of his songs, they're so heartbreaking. Like, have you listened to Her Name Is? Like, I, I know this song was written by Bobby Braddock, but obviously when George cut it, it was about Tammy Wynette. We all know this. I think he even said it in his, in his biography. Um, I mean, I think we've all been there. Fuck, at least I have. That 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 woman, you know, she loves you. She's got a man. Like, it's relatable. It, he told her he loved her after seeing her and and her husband fighting at a dinner at their house. He flipped the fucking dinner table. Like that's out there, man. That's in that song. Not the dinner table flipping, but it's you know that subtext. That's country as fuck. I hear Jones sing about it. And I want to cry every single time I hear that song. And I, I wouldn't even put it up there as like his, his tearjerker songs, but what I'm saying is that that's my tearjerker Jones song. And the thing is, I'm positive every single person has one of those Jones songs that makes them want to cry. And I, I love that, that there's something in there for everybody. Um, you know, beyond that, beyond the heart-wrenching, tearjerking kind of stuff, he also has that hillbilly party hard, you know, kind of stuff. It's not as as prevalent, but you know, you see it in, in, in the songs that make you want to drink like you know twelve beers and get punched in the face by a guy for hitting on his girlfriend, like like a honky tonk song. I hear that intro, I'm ready to jump on the riding mower and hit the bars, you know, like <laughs> maybe get arrested. I don't know. Who knows? Live that live that life. Honky Tonk Myself to Death. That's my number one Bender song. I'm talking about this stuff, you know, on a very personal level, but, you know, what that has to mean is that everyone else feels the same way about their own favorite Jones songs. It's, it's, it's you know, you make them your own, and it's, it's hitting on those personal things for everybody. Um, aside from all that, the personal gushy stuff and, and the stuff that I, I take out of, of music and the stuff that makes someone a, a top performer or a top artist in, in the respective genre for me is that, you know, he, he did a lot of other very, very respectable things for the genre. And I'm not 
detracting that from 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 straight i as i said at the start jokingly but it's i i agree with andrew on almost every point every point he's made but we're here for a debate so um you know he, george jones was a champion for country music he formed the association of country music entertainers or ace as they called it um, which demanded more representation of traditional artists uh, on the cma board of directors and uh, a more like balance out the radio uh, playlists because it seems familiar, right, to like what's happening nowadays in country with the new country and pop country, all that kind of stuff. Um, but this was a big reaction back in, in the 70s to the artists that were winning awards back then. Like you got Olivia Newton John winning, you know, uh, awards, John Denver. Like, listen, like we all love take me home country roads but let's be honest here like he shouldn't shouldn't have been charting on on the country chart or number one on the country charts back then i might have made that up but i think it was um on top of that and i've always loved this about any artist new old whoever someone even local that i know like when people help other artists to me that is just you know when you when you're helping out other people above yourself you're doing that for the like it's for the love of the game, man. Like you, you're not helping out people for no reason. You're doing that because you love that genre. You love your music so much that you want to bring other people into it. Like there's so many people out there that are like, no, 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 no. I don't want the competition. I'm going to try and beat you down. I mean, you could make this comparison across so many things: workplace, uh, anything in life, really. But he helped everybody relentlessly. You know. Dozens and dozens and dozens of artists, like, duets accounted for five of his, you said 13, he had 14 number one hits. Five of his 14 number one hits uh, were duets. Uh, duets with Tammy Wynette, Loretta Lynn, Buck Owens, Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash, Dolly Parton, David Allen Coe. I could do this for the rest of the night. Andrew will be asleep off his two drinks over there, but I, I won't. But, you know, uh, all the way up to blues guys like B.B. King, Keith Richards, like... It, this was stuff he did. And uh, I don't know. I just think it's amazing how you know welcoming he was into the genre. And all he wanted to do was just make country music exist, make it continue to exist, push it forward. A big, big, big part of this was uh, George Jones recording Who's Gonna Fill Their Shoes, which I, I felt was a very, very progressive song. And it was almost you know ahead of, ahead of his time. Uh, he was never afraid to speak out about the genre, his issues with it. I, I feel like I don't want to say no one does that anymore because a lot of people do that anymore do that now. But uh, no one in the spotlight is doing it because you know you can't like no one's doing that because they're going to get slammed. Like they're they're all and I'm not calling anybody selfish. It's just that's the way it is. You you, you no one wants to speak out anymore. But he he said whatever he wanted. Obviously, there's a lot of this, you know, fuck pop country bullshit out there, but it's like he did it in such a classy way that you couldn't not listen to him. I don't care who you were. You'd hear him say the kind of things he said, and it, he garnered that respect. <clears throat> the last thing I'll say before we start uh, bare knuckle boxing over here um, is that performing was his life. George Jones literally gave his life for performing. In 2012, 
He planned a tour after being diagnosed with a lung infection. He could have stayed home, could have stayed home and healed, probably lived longer. Instead, he went out, he did the tour, knowing full well it would probably kill him. And according to his wife, he knew he wouldn't make it through that tour. I mean, if that's not dedication to the craft, if that's not country music, I don't know what is. Well played. Lots of great arguments that I also agree with. But a bunch of stuff that I did not agree with or want a counterpoint. Uh, one thing, as a total aside, the John Denver thing you're talking about, that year, I think that was like 1975 or 1974, and Charlie Rich burned his... Yeah. <laughs> that is bullshit. Because Charlie Rich is way less country than John Denver. Like, right, if we look back at, like, their music, like, what was that song, Charlie Rich, like, Bedroom Doors or something like that? Yeah, but what about, like, Sitting and Drinking? Isn't that a Charlie Charlie Rich song? Yeah, but, like, so is Thank God I'm a Country Boy, and that's way (laughs) better. Like, I, I feel like 30, 40 years down the road now, looking back, I don't have a single... Charlie Rich record or a single song on my Spotify or anywhere from him. And I have a whole pile from John Denver. I feel like he's anyways, you know what? We, we, I don't think we even need to debate this one because no. <laughs> uh, I have one Charlie Rich song and, and it's the sitting and drinking song. And, it, but uh, you know, it, it's yeah. And, and John Denver. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to lie to you. I like John Denver. Yeah, me too. <laughs> But we're, that's maybe a later, yeah, a John Denver appreciation episode. podcast. <laughs> also, uh, who's gonna fill their shoes, and th- the the braveness of him doing that then, or whatever you want to refer to it as, and nobody doing it now. I don't. Nobody's doing it right now. Well, I guess Wheeler Walker Jr. was doing it, but <laughs> nobody nobody else was like really making songs in that way, is what you're saying, but. You ever heard Murder on Music Row? It's 20 years old, but... Oof, that's a song. That's a song and a half. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's George Strait and Alan Jackson. Yeah. And that I'd argue that that's more or less a redo, a different... Like, it's the same sentiment written differently in a different song by the same level of guys. But l- let me ask you, and full disclosure, I, I, it's one of my favorite songs. Yeah. I love that song. And it's, it's pivotal. It's a pivotal song. Do you think that song, was it maybe, I don't want to say a reaction. Was it influenced by? Probably. Yeah. Because like, that list of everybody that I gave earlier that like directly credit George Strait for being who they are. Alan Jackson, as far as what I've read or heard, uh, he really considers George Jones as at least vocally like the best and like what he was to aspire to. Um, did you know Jones wrote tall, tall trees? I did. Uh, it's actually, he did it with Roger Miller. The two of them wrote it together. That was, uh, that was a new one for me because I, I love that song. I love yeah. Alan Jackson. I mean, how can you not love Alan Jackson? And, uh, I, I came across, I don't know how I didn't know that, but I came across it. it it's, I find it a pretty, like a pretty modern, ish sounding country so I mean it's Alan Jackson he, he does his own thing but when I when I read that I was like wow that's kind of blew my mind a little bit 
but yeah, it, it's that songwriting side of it, right? Is you know, well, I don't know who actually wrote like on, on a similar topic. I don't know who wrote the love bug. I guess we could Google it and pull it up, but that's a George Jones song originally, and then Straight redid it in the mid eighties, eighty six, I think, something like that. Forget which record it was on. Um, super honky tonk and the same vibe, but updated and not in like a weird pop way, but still carrying on the same sentiment, the same vibe. But I, I think it's the better version. And like, I don't want it to be sacrilege against like when, when you compare like the original with the updated. But I, I meant that I wanted to talk to you about this and I actually wanted to talk to you about this before. Uh, before we started getting into the, this whole debate, but it's a funny thing. Uh, you may know this. I did also didn't know this. Did you know that he, he cut a bunch of rock... George Jones cut a bunch of rockabilly tracks under a pseudonym? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Old Thumper his... Jones. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was because like uh, Elvis's label pressured him to do it. Like do a bunch of rock, and he was he was embarrassed. He was like, "No way, am I using my own name, yeah. Oz?" Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, you were talking about uh, about Haggard uh, earlier. I think saying that uh, he was a big influence, and uh, I, I came across a, f- a funny story of uh, of Jones. He when he heard uh, Haggard's voice for the first time, he drunkenly kicked in the door uh, of an office of, of some cafe demanding to know like whose voice that was. And uh, Haggard, I think, later on just said it was like one of the, the greatest compliments of his entire life, knowing that Jones <laughs> said that it was his favorite country singer. But it, it you know says something about Haggard, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, there's we could go down a whole other rabbit hole about Haggard that I'm sure we'll probably circle back to in a number of different ways in this, uh, in this debate, but he's, he, he would definitely be in the running for this conversation for sure too. Uh, cause he's probably my, if not tied for first, then my second favorite of all time. Uh, yeah, I'd have to say that as well. He's, he's, he's up there with me. I mean, uh, Merle Haggard, like you, you better shut the fuck up when you're listening to a Merle Haggard song. Yeah. You know, I, I sat there, uh, the last time I saw him was at the Ryman in, in Nashville and you could hear a pin drop and uh, I had tears in my eyes for half the performance. I don't think, you, I, I didn't know you saw him at the Ryman. Did I tell yeah. you that I had tickets to that? I don't think so. So the like, same show? Well, I, no, I don't, no, 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 no. Cause I didn't end up going. So I don't know when you'd say like. this was five ish. Years ago, I guess. Okay, so I'm talking 2016. It was the year he died. And I had decided that I needed to go see Merle and wanted to go no matter what. All of the original guys are starting to die. I had had tickets to George Jones back in, I don't know what that was, 2010 maybe, 2008, 2010, whenever he was coming through around then. And something came up and I had to sell my ticket. I couldn't go. And then he died a couple of years later. He didn't end up coming back around. And so I forget what spawned it, but then I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to go see Merle somewhere. I think it was that 
you started hearing rumors that he was a little bit sick. He was having some bronchitis or pneumonia. I was like, nope, this isn't going to happen twice. And so I went online. I saw his website and saw that he was playing at the Ryman. And I was like, oh, my God, what is going to be the better place to see Merle than the Mother Church of Country Music? So I bought two tickets, booked it, had no flights, didn't know who I was going with yet. Probably my brother told him about it. We had talked about it, no flights or anything booked. And then this was probably in January. And then in March, because he died in April, right? Yeah, so in March, my brother calls me one morning or texts me and says, hey, did you hear Merle Haggard died this morning? It's like, what? It's crushing, eh? I don't, th- I don't think I've ever been so sad and like tears welling up for a celebrity dying in my life. Because he wasn't a celebrity to you. He wasn't a celebrity to me. He was he was there. He was I'm pointing at my chest because we're on a, on a podcast here, but <laughs> he was uh, he was there for you at all yeah. times. And I mean the same could be said about you know any of our, our favorite well probably not any of them, but a lot of our favorite artists, but it's like it was haggard, man. Like yeah. he was there for us always. Mm-hmm. Like I'm welling up right now. Like, yeah, I, I understand. I think we're we're almost on the haggard the haggard portion of it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and that, that's where he often comes up in this conversation is a songwriting portion. Um, if we're gonna move into a Merle conversation, who was well, and into a, a songwriting. You know, well, kind of side of things. Yeah, yeah, we definitely need to touch on that. But if he was like the main influence or one of the two main influences of George Strait, and then further to your story of George Jones being so pissed off, someone else was singing like that and kicked in the door and needed to know whose voice that was, That that's a big deal. And he definitely had a crazy voice. You ever heard him uh, um, do this his impression of Marty Robbins. No, I've never heard that. Oh man. It's so good. Uh, I can't remember where I first heard it. Honestly, I think it, it, I think it was referenced in cocaine and rhinestones side note, full disclosure. One of my favorite podcasts of anything ever. If anybody hasn't listened to it, go listen to episode one through 12 or whatever is available in the first season. Uh, epic research, put together for like a really good concise history on individual vignettes throughout country history. And anyways, um, I can't remember what episode or why it was a conversation, but he, he brought up this little video and you have to go find it on the links and we'll link it on this page as well too, where Merle Haggard was on some TV show in the early sixties where Marty Robbins was on as well too. And then he did an impression of him (laughs) in front of him (laughs) so perfectly. And when you see his reaction and like Marty Robbins is such like a smooth as butter crooning kind of Listen, he's a handsome fucking man, you know? Which one? Marty Robbins. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Oh yeah. And like, and then here comes slick young Merle Haggard and like lays it down like butter. It was, uh, it, it was so good. Um, <laughs> that's fucking gold. I forget my point. Why were we talking about this? Um, 
That's that's a valid uh, a valid question. That's something oh, good. his voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. His, it's his. because it's it. Not only was it great the way that he used it and he sang it, but he had this extraordinary ability outside of what we know Merle Haggard's voice as. Before he started coming out with his own records, when he was on the road with Buck Owens and other people, he was doing backup. He was impersonating. Marty Robbins doing all kinds of stuff. He has this crazy epic voice that because it doesn't have the maybe the acrobatics of George Jones, it often doesn't get as much credit, but it's I don't know. We're digressing now. But uh, I, I think you know, we, we talked about this a little bit. It's like he walked a fine not a fine line, he walked a good line between like a a, a Jones and a straight. Like Haggard had the best of both those worlds, right? He had in what way? The wild side. Oh yeah, yeah. Plus the pull your hat down, strong silent type, yeah. family man. Because well, he was, you know, he was a little bit of many family man. <laughs> uh, I know, but he's like a. At the end of the day, like he's a strong, yeah, a strong family man. He's raised some real good kids. Like yeah, I know Ben Haggard. He's a good, good, good guy. Like. You know him? You've met him? Yeah. Oh, I, nice. I met him at that uh, when I saw Haggard in, uh, at the Ryman. Oh, cool. And uh, like salt of the earth. Yeah. Like you know Hag, he raised some good kids. And like, but uh, anyways, all I'm saying is that he kind of walked that 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 middle ground between like yeah, Haggard was obviously wild, but he he also fa- I think he found his. Mm-hmm. He found his straight, you know, his straight and narrow. <laughs> well, where he, I think, most often comes up, even beyond this vocal uh, singing ability conversation we've had in this, is that I think he wrote much more of his own music than most country singers do, especially of that era. George Jones definitely wrote some songs. Um, but he didn't, and, and I'll concede this point, is like there's not, there's no George Jones like hits that that he were fully, number ones. Yeah, were number ones that he wrote. Like, well, it's the same with George Strait. Yeah, like he he none of his number ones did he write. Country music is different than rock or other kinds of music where um, the integrity and the quality of the music somehow is also tied to songwriting or who wrote the song. Like, oh, this rock band X isn't great. They, they don't even write their own material, et cetera. You, you never hear that conversation in country. It doesn't matter. The whole business is pretty much built on, the whole town of Nashville is built on a business of songwriters and performers. And George Strait, George Jones, all these guys and many others, majority of everyone are people who are either singers or songwriters. Some people cross over. Some songwriters are also singers. Some singers do some of their own songwriting. But generally, there's songwriters, singers, as separate businesses that work with each other. And a lot of people, like you hear all kinds of major country stars, like I'm thinking of Kenny Chesney from some documentary I've seen recently. Like He's a great songwriter on his own. He's written a, a bunch of his own songs that were number ones and top hits. But he now talks about how he doesn't need to do that. Like, he's too busy. He's on the road. He's doing shows. And he's good at it. But there's people who are way better at it. And if he can use their songs and interpret them and perform them, then 
that's almost the best of both worlds. And that's something that Jones and Strait did a lot of. And if it matters to the conversation of the greatest of all time, songwriting, then I'd say Haggard, hands down. I can't think of anyone else. Like, Waylon Jennings wrote a whole pile of his own stuff, and I love Waylon Jennings too. Um, Chris Christopherson wrote a lot of his own stuff and a lot of stuff for other people. But I'd, I'd say Merle would be the king if, uh, if it was required um, to be a songwriter as well, too. Okay, so I've been thinking about something as I'm sitting here and cracking beers and everything else. <laughs> Man, you resonated here on, on some stuff. And that whole, like, 70s bullshit, like, when you're talking about, like, how straight just he just came out like with that album that first album when there was like i think you 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 called it that wide lapel like disco fucking bullshit which uh to me resonates as i i could replace wide lapel disco bullshit with like uh you know i can pop country like truck driving fucking bedazzled jeans bullshit he, he came out of nowhere and just did this thing and all of a sudden everybody it, it was like you know when you slap when someone's hysterical and you slap them in the face and they're like huh huh and they realize somebody up yeah you wait it woke a bunch of people up that they slowly got dragged into this bullshit of like country I'm doing air quotations right now, country music back then, that was, yeah, man, it was being influenced by, like, disco and fucking 80s music, everything else. And, and yeah, I, I can't argue that Jones and everybody else got sucked into it, but how else? They weren't, they weren't young. They were in the, what, what would you call that? Like the, not the, I don't want to say the twilight of their careers, but they're at a point where they needed to make money. Everybody needs to make money at some mm-hmm. point. Um, particularly Jones, who was spending so hard. <laughs> yeah, I read a story. He threw like twenty, no, like twelve hundred bucks down a toilet, and his manager was like, "You made twenty one hundred dollars last night." He's like, "Yeah, but I threw twelve hundred down the toilet." <laughs> but anyways, what well, what I loved about that that point is just it's like, man, that resonates with me because there's a lot of bands I love today that like, yeah, they're coming in and cutting through the bullshit, but. For straight, like yeah, that's that's fucking amazing that he, he did that. The ship. He he came in, yeah he 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 righted that ship. He he turned that wheel, and that's that's not easy to do, man. You ever watch those shows like uh, on like whatever the reality shows where they're on like the tuna fishing boat or whatever, and you got to right that <laughs> ship? I know they don't have like an old timey wheel, but it's not easy to turn the ship in the right direction when the waves coming in the wrong fucking direction. And fucking straight did that, man. That's. That's something. That's rebellious. That's some punk rock shit right there. To come in to a genre that's moving in the ex- total opposite direction of you. And you come in there and you're like, fuck you. Here's my first album, bitches. And then everyone's like, oh, shit. Like, and it resonates big time. Yeah. Because everyone's like, yeah, it woke people up. They realized they were fucking, they were sleepwalking, man. So many people, like you, you read a number of people's autobiographies or interviews, Garth Brooks, um, like I don't remember if it was Kix Brooks or Ronnie Dunn, like they talk about 
almost like Kennedy assassination kind of moments. Like, like not, <laughs> not so that a little extreme. Yeah, no, yeah, I know where like, you're going. Where were you at that moment? Like yeah, yeah, they remember yeah. where they were at that moment. Yeah, where were you? That was a defining moment for them of like, I was driving under this overpass when unwound came on the radio and it probably followed Kenny Rogers and <laughs> was, <laughs> and next was like Eddie rabbit or crystal Gale. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. it just comes in with those hard honky tonk fiddles and nobody's heard it before. It's not a throwback track. It's this brand new on new country radio at the time. And it's like, what is this? It's like you heard it before, but you have, you're like, it's like a, you're remembering a dream. Like, it's, Whoa, it, wow, what is totally, this? It was crazy. <laughs> and it, it, it fully changed things. Um, that's, that's, that's the main point for me on George after the accolades and everything is that he fully changed the direction of country music. And not to say that somebody might not have done it afterwards to whatever degree, but somehow he had that crossover power of, and it's not even crossover into the mainstream, but it was hardcore, real honky tonk that stayed country, like hardcore pedal yeah. steel and fiddles, Western swing, Bakersfield influence, and was able to make it. I don't know if it's because he was like a mysterious guy, a young, super handsome, like with cred, legit cowboy that comes on. This isn't an act. This isn't like John Travolta with a hat on being urban <laughs> cowboy. It was the real deal. And like people really bought into the fact that this is, this is authentic. This, and I hesitate to use the word authentic, but in that case, like it actually is that that's, that's him. And I guess what I would say about George Strait is that where you think George Jones is so country, he embodies country music and everything he did with the not caring about shows and drinking and partying and just doing his own thing. And like, that's such a like country edgy thing to do. And I, I, I don't disagree, but I'd say on the other hand, George Strait's not any less, but in a different way, he's the more Western and wholesome, like real cowboy. I think he said that you can sing cheating songs and not be a cheater. And that's a big thing about country music is like infidelity seems to be like one of the core pillars of it. Like if you're not singing about cheating yourself, you're singing about having been cheated. And every single country singer I think has has a song or many songs somewhere in that theme. But he's someone who by all accounts has never been a philanderer, never been too crazy of a party partier. Sounds like he loves to have a pile of tequilas and a bunch of beers and have a great Friday night, but he's not going and blowing a hundred grand on Coke and flushing half of it half of a night's worth of money down the toilet like George Jones and then riding to the liquor store on a lawnmower afterwards. Uh, different styles. He's, he's someone that he has his own team roping rodeo. George Strait Invitational. And like that's how real of a Western guy he is. And he grew up doing this. He's been singing this kind of music, was in a, 
a, a dance hall western swing band that was successful throughout Texas. But if they're going to be the next level, he had to get Nashville to sign on. They said no so many times because he was too country. And then finally, they gave in and gave him a record deal, and that's what came out with Unwound and turned this around. So he, I, I feel like he has as much raw countryness as you're saying George Jones does, but I'd say in a different way. George is more that rock star kind of mentality, whereas uh, Straight is more of that wholesome values, Western cowboy authenticity. So you made a point of uh, of saying it's like that that don't care kind of wild blah blah, blah. It, and it's the don't care that. They, they got to me there and it's like and, and coming from somebody like like I'm a bit wild myself and it's not that you don't care it's that you fucking care too much and it fucks you up and and that's what Jones was like he he cared too much about country music he cared too much about the music he cared too much about the women in his life he cared too much about the things he loved then why did he cheat on him? Because he cared too much about the next one. Mm, I don't get that, but... And listen, this is not me saying that that's me. All I'm saying is that, like, when you're passionate and you can't, you, you let that, these things are pulling you in all directions and you let them, you have to let them pull you because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're stuck. And, and it's also and, fodder for more material. But and, it's not that the the, the experiences become bef- happen before the material. It's not saying I'm going to go cheat on my wife, yeah, girlfriend, whatever, so I can have. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the 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 fucking fear kicked in. Like, and I'm not talking about like anxiety of a show. It's like the 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 fear of like just life, man. The anxiety, and all of a sudden, he started relying on all his crutches, and then shit happened, and then it snowballs. And then he he ends up where he is, but his heart was always in the right place, and he was, and that's why shit would happen. Like he would end up on the front lawn of two old ladies who loved him. They were his biggest fans, and he disappeared from a show and played for them on, on their front lawn because he all he ever wanted to do was please the fans. But he's a yeah, earlier, he was a damaged individual. Earlier you said, when you brought that up in your opening statement, you said that that was the kind of things he did that are relatable to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> really? maybe, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Maybe that's relatable to me. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, like, uh, yeah, I, I haven't done that. Anyways, I got to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I went down a well there, but I just, I feel like these emotional individuals, and I may or may not be like, you know, taking from personal experience, but it's like you care so much that it fucks you up and it causes you to the only your only go off de- the rails. Yeah, your only defense mechanism is to go okay. off the rails. So to get a little bit out of the well, uh, I think we talked about this once. I don't know if I showed you that video or not. Did I show you what are they called? Um, lost. Lost in Las Vegas, maybe, or Lost in Vegas. Man. Oh, man, they're so funny. I forget <laughs> their names. Two black guys that 
obviously didn't grow up on country, uh, live in the city, but really articulate and interesting uh, commentary on different videos. So essentially what all these videos are, and if you've not heard this, just go and Google it. If you, if you Google reaction with like three exclamation points, or I think their channel is called Lost in Vegas. Either way, you'll come to it. They essentially watch videos or watch music, listen to music with a camera on them, like from their laptop. And they've never heard it before, and they're just reacting to it for the first time, and it's videotaping their reaction. So somewhere along the line, uh, this was all with music, and somebody suggested they react to some country, which they were not familiar with. And I think one of the first songs was something from Chris Stapleton. And uh, they, they had a reaction, and they loved it. Uh, and then so they were all about it and listening to it. But I guess some of the comments uh, were talking about how Chris Stapleton isn't really country. Uh, it's, it's more like Southern blues rock, country-ish, which I don't disagree with. I love Chris Stapleton, but I, I wouldn't give him like the flag to bear for country music. Um, and so they essentially said, okay, well, what's, what's country? Give, a, give us some uh, suggestions. And a, a whole lot of George Strait came in. And I guess one of the ones that was most recommended or for whatever reason they chose was I can still make Cheyenne. And that's a really good reaction video, watching these guys dissect it. Um, and from the cultural perspective, the cultural differences, they're trying to figure out like how, how cowboys are like, like ballers or gangsters. Like the, this is like, the, they're out there going to the rodeos and like that's, that's all that matters, like at the expense of relationships and everything. Right, I gotta watch this. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, and so they, they, they relate it back to the same music that they know that has emotion and kind of appreciate it on that level of, of something different culturally. And it's always just been one that I've, I've personally really liked, but you, you can't not listen to that song and, and, and be drawn in. No, I, and I, I can't argue with, with you on that. It's, it's a fantastic song. Um, I, I think a point I, I neglected to make earlier about Jones, you touched on it, I, I think, talking about the, the longevity of, of his career. But, you know, what, what I sometimes, like, I have a lot of Jones on my phone, obviously, and uh, sometimes I'll just throw it on, on shuffle, you know, and just put everything, everything that, that I have. And I probably have, I'd say, most of his material on there. Um, it, it's some of that, you know, that, that real old stuff he recorded, like, uh, you know, White Lightning, Who Shot Sam, like, uh, all this really, it, it's, it's almost like you don't even realize it's Jones at first. Like, you're like, what is this? It's got, like, the wild piano in it, and it's very, like, uh, saloon type sound and old-timey stuff. Well, at the very beginning, he was like a Hank Williams impersonator, like not not officially, but that's what he was trying to do. Well, and off that, uh, off some of those first albums, like man, you, you could set your watch to his haircut, like his <laughs> his brush cut, and like it was awesome, man. Johnny but, Unitas. Um, but yeah, I, I, and it's it's neat to see. So I, I sometimes like to just listen to it on random, and then they all, you know, you hear some of the newer stuff, some mm -hmm. of the mid-range stuff, some of the older stuff. And I, I think it's always interesting to for a career that was that long to see the progressions, you know, throughout. And, and I, I guess I'm not really making an argument for anything you hear other than it's just, you know, to have remained relevant for, for that long. And I know there was obviously periods of, of ups and downs, but he reinvented himself 
quite a few times, um, be it good or bad. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not making a case for this being more country or less country, but it's, uh, it's impressive that you could remain relevant for that long. And, uh, you know, I guess the exact same argument could be made for straight. But yeah, I was about to counterpoint with yeah. how long? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not really even a necessary counterpoint because he's still going. He just put in a new album, didn't he? Yeah, like two weeks ago. Yeah, I was giving that a bit of a listen uh, today. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's called a honky-tonk time machine. Yeah. <laughs> How can it not be good? It's ex almost exactly what he is. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> All right. Real you know. real quick. Uh, what's your top three George Jones songs? Top Just so three. we know what we're dealing with here. All right. I, and I, you're I kind of on the spot, so maybe not even top three all time. First three that come to mind. Wow. Almost like word association. George Jones, go. <laughs> I, I, man, I love her name is like, and I, I almost find it's it's so good and it's cheesiness with like the the like you know the song I'm talking about right? Oh yeah. Like, it, it just the 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 way it plays out and uh, it, it's hilarious, but it's also a bit heart wrenching and it's uh, I don't know I I love that tune. It's it's one of my favorites. Um, the race is on. I, I don't think I could ever like get sick of that song. And uh, bartender's blues. That's three uh, honorable mention, probably still doing time. Oh, nice. That's just, I can, I, again, I, it's one of those songs like, you know, Desert Island type stuff. Like, yeah. Desert yeah, those Island, are some of my Desert Island. I'd, for <laughs> sure, I'd throw, I think my favorite George Jones song would be uh, You're Looking at a Happy Man. Lesser known, but just such a fun, great tune. Yeah, you've mentioned that to me, and it's like, I, yeah. it's funny when someone mentions something like that to you, and then you start getting more on board with it. Yeah, a curveball, <laughs> and then yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so what about you? What are your top three straight songs? Uh, you know, I feel like I should say things that are songs that are a little bit bigger, a um, little faster, a little more fun. But I think the ones that hit me the hardest are really some of his slower ones. I always somehow default to run. I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe it's because when it comes on the radio, it's the one that I turn up and sing along to the hardest. I've, I don't know. I've, I've just always loved that tune. I already mentioned I can still make Cheyenne. In terms of fast tunes, I don't know if anything tops the fireman for me. I really love that tune. I remember the first time I heard it, I hated it. <laughs> I was like, this is a stupid song. And then maybe it took like the second or third time to hear it again. And it like shot to the top of the list, like pretty immediately. So if there's anybody who doesn't like that song off of first listen, give it a second or third. Um, actually, Love Bug is speaking of the similar kind of quicker tune. I really, really love the Love Bug. Huh. So that's in your top three? No, no. Um, what did I say? I said run. I can still make shine. I love that was your, was your honorable mention. Yeah, I'll give that an honorable mention, particularly in the spirit of this discussion, uh, Jones versus Jones. I really love uh, that tune. You know, like, or twang. <laughs> like today. Yeah, you said that to me today. I did. Yeah. It was funny because it was it a was funny five juxtaposition. on Friday. Yeah. And you send that to me, and I was like, uh, for some reason, I'm having like a rough Friday. I'm like, just I'm cranking something heavy. And then you sent that, and I was kind of like, yeah, all right, I can get on board with this. I'm ready to have a beer. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, perfect tune. Every five o'clock Friday, if I notice it's five o'clock in Friday, and it's gonna be a good night, 
That's the song that starts it off. <laughs> well, all the time. you're almost like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You totally. can't put that song on it and have a bad night. No. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love that unwound song, man. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, the first time I heard that, I was just like, yep. Mm-hmm. You and everybody else. Yeah. That's a, that album's good through and through. I mean, I, I always have a soft spot for someone's, like, first album. And uh, so... And it, I love listening to a first album like like through and through, right? Like yeah. song number one to, to the end. But uh, yeah, and it's it tends to be generally the first album that I listen to from a, from an artist, and I, I think that that first album for him is it's it's something special. So, if the conversation of the greatest ever needed to include being a singer songwriter, neither of these guys would win. For me, otherwise. I'd have to say Merle Haggard. Yeah, you got to go Hag. There's yeah. no way you, nobody's going to argue us on that. You know what? I, if you want to argue us on that, drop some comments. I want to hear them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If 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 the conversation for greatest ever requires being a pretty significant songwriter, the vote for me goes to Merle Haggard. I'll second that motion. Sweet. Well then, we agree <laughs> on something. Yeah. Uh, he's. He's a very close second, if not tied for first, a very close second to me of all-time favorites. Uh, I know that's a bit of sacrilege. Somehow I don't have a problem putting George Strait ahead of George Jones, but I have a slight problem putting George Strait ahead of Merle Haggard. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe because my dog is named after him as well. I don't know. I I think we've all elevated Haggard to this this unachievable level. Like No one's going to take that over. I mean, he was... He was a, a legend. He was a gem. Like you can't, no one could touch that. Yeah. Well, my friend, I don't uh, think we're coming to a resolution on this anytime soon. So, I think maybe we're just gonna have to uh, agree to disagree on this one. I'll agree to that. <laughs> Listen, I'd like nothing more than could we, could we put straight country on on the, the record player and have another beer? Yeah, we can do that. You know, because that's country, country. That's country, country.